today. Questions and answers. And there's a lot of times in the Bible when um, people did ask questions and God asked questions as well. So let's have a look at a couple of examples. Numbers chapter 14. This is when the children of Israel in the previous chapter had gone into, sent 12 people into the promised land to spy it out and one from each of the tribes and um, as we know, um, 10 of them brought back a very bad report and two of them brought back a great report. The two who brought back the good report uh, were not popular and Moses and Aaron, his brother, were not popular because they wanted to do it God's way and uh, the others had lost all faith and felt that God had sort of misled them and how wonderful Egypt was all of a sudden, and uh, which it wasn't, but they'd forgotten where they were slaves. And um, I just sort of look at the testing of, of uh, Moses on that occasion. And we'll just start reading in verse 6 of chapter 14. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. They spoke unto all the con- company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, which he did, by the way, then he will bring us into this land and give it, give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, and their defence is departed from them. And the Lord is with us and fear them not. So that's the words of faith, isn't it? Because in actual fact, they were a formidable uh, enemy and they had big cities with walls and they found out later on, 40 years later, Jericho and so on. So it was, um, But in their eyes, they didn't see any of that. And it is interesting in life when you walk by faith, you just don't see sometimes the, ob- the obstacles or the things that could stop it happening. And uh, But we see what happened in verse 10. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. So they didn't take that news very well. And it's amazing when people get upset, they want to kill you. And that's exactly what they wanted to do here. They wanted to kill these men of faith. So here's the question. Um... And it's a God, God's question to Moses in verse 11. How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be before they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them. And will make of thee a great nation and mightier than they. So that must have been an amazing offer when you think about it. Except that Moses, as it says in one part of the word, was the mildest and meekest man amongst all the children of Israel. He had no ambition. He didn't want to be a great person. He did become a great person. Represented half the Old Testament later on, the law and the prophets. Moses represented the law, Elijah the prophets. But um, we just see here, he said, look, I'm going to forget them. They're a mob of losers, uh, grizzlers. Had, I had enough of them. And let me, let me do great things with you. And then we just see how Moses answered God. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for they brought us up this people in thy might from among them. Sorry, for thou brought us up this people. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that 
Thou, Lord, art among this people, and that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that the cloud standeth over them, and that, <coughs> excuse me, and that thou goest before them by day, time in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people, you can see his answer is a lot bigger than the question, wasn't it? Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring his people, this people out of the land which he swore unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, so the question goes back to God, let the power of the Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. And it's, but it's truly, one of the great verses, verse 21, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. He goes on to talk about how that those who rejected the council uh, or the the uh, the thought of going into the land, they got punished and got wiped out eventually over 40 years in the wilderness. But I just sort of thinking, um, well, what an amazing mo- man Moses was because everything he said, as we know, was spot on. And he said, God, if it failed there, nobody would believe you anymore. If you can make a mistake, well, then you're untrustworthy. And people will hear about it. And it'll, it'll come to reject and to mock the things of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard what you said, and I'm going to go with what you say. So um, what an amazing result. Let's have a look at a bit of a similar example in First Kings in chapter 3 before we go to the New Testament. First Kings in chapter 3. So this is the time of... Um, uh, the handing over of the kingdom from David to Solomon. When Solomon was still relatively young, that's how he describes himself. First Kings chapter 3. And, excuse me, just picking up verse 5. In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as his walk before thee in truth and in righteousness and uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. And I am but a little child. Well, that's how he felt, anyhow. And I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an, un- an understanding of heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord, and that Solomon had asked this thing, and God said to him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou 
asked for riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but thou hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there shall none, there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee what you didn't ask for, that which you, uh, thou hast not asked, both riches and honour, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways, and unfortunately towards the end of his life he forgot this verse, but if thou wilt walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did, did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke and he realised it was a dream. So, but it was a very re- realistic thing and um, how tempting it could have been to do what uh, God commanded him on not doing. He could have said, oh, what about say I live to 150 and what say I'm remembered as the, the, the wealthiest king on the planet and, and could have gone through all the things that he, he thought he... And yet in the end, that's what he did go down in history other than the latter part of his life as the wisest man that ever lived, the wisdom of Solomon is spoken of and the other one was the magnificence of his kingdom that even the Queen of Sheba came all the way from Africa to see the glory of his kingdom. So um, maybe all of us at times are tempted, maybe not as directly like this, but almost like a bit like the devil did to Jesus. You know, if you only fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this, you know. And um, and unfortunately now and again people do fall for that old three-card trick, the lust of the eyes, uh, the, the lust of the flesh and the, and the pride of life. And the three-card trick the devil usually uses in one form or another, or all three, to catch people out. And, uh, and, uh, but here we see he could have done all that. He, he just said, I just want to be a good king. I want to make good judgment and all that. And the Lord was so pleased with his, with his, with that answer. And, um, let's have a look in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, 16. We're going to have a look at white collar crime. Luke 16. Now, usually when people talk about white-collar crime, it's when somebody's embezzled the company, when somebody's embezzled the boss and and diddled the books and um, done something underhand and sort of, you know, put cash under the counter, all the different ways that people can do this. And that's what this is, white-collar crime, as it became labelled later on in our generation. So in Luke 16, verse 1, he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man, and I've got that right, haven't I? Yeah, that's right, I've got it right. There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Now, the, I dare say the steward could have come back and said, hang on a second, you're sort of passing judgment before I've even said anything. But he didn't do that because he knew he was guilty as charged, as the saying goes, again in our modern society. He was guilty as charged. And he, most, the only thing that upset him is that his master had found out about it. Somebody had looked at the books and he realised that this guy's a crook. He's supposed to be on representing you and so on. But now in the religious sense or in the spiritual sense, it really is the people who represent the Lord is what he's talking about. 
And have you shortchanged the people? Have you let them off, like we read in this story? Have you let them off when you they talked about getting baptised? Did you talk them out of it or say it wasn't all that important and you don't need to do it? And so on and so on. You go through all the various things. That these days, in the modern day of Christianity, people are forever being let off. You know, even in, it's to me quite sad watching uh, the world of Pentecost, broadly speaking, sort of depart from even where they were back 30 or 40 years ago. You know, when I first came to the Lord, like the Assemblies of God, there weren't many Pentecostal churches, by the way, there was hardly any. Assemblies of God, Church of Christ, not Church of Christ, CRC, Commonwealth Revival Crusade, and the Apostolic, and us. That was about it. There wasn't really anybody else. And all the churches were vehemently opposed against speaking in tongues. But in those days, you know, they sort of had some standards. And uh, they, most of their people did get baptised, and most of them did get spirit-filled, even though they might not have believed it was totally necessary. There was a great emphasis to do it. And uh, now as you watch things go on, as Pentecost moves away from its very name, that's what I'm always amazed at, its very name is Pentecost, but they move away from their name of receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And one day the Lord's going to call them to account. He's going to ask the same question. I've heard that you have misrepresented my, my situation. You've, you've diddled the books. You're talking about people being on good terms with me when I'm not, they're not on good terms with me or they've shortchanged me. And that, of course, is what happens here, doesn't it? The steward said within himself, what shall I do for my Lord taketh away my stewardship? I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed. So he never at any point had any remorse. There was no repentance. There was no, help me, I've done a dumb thing, can you forget? None of that. This guy lived by the seat of his pants. He's quite happy to do everything underhanded. And he still does things underhanded to get himself out of the situation. I'm resolved what to do. But when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their homes. So that's all he wanted was a recognition of mankind. And I honestly wonder if sometimes that's all other people want. Recognition of mankind. Don't really care what God thinks, even though they might say they do. So he called every one of his lords debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou, my lord? Simple answer is all of us own a hundred percent. And that's really what he said. A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. He said, Half will do. But he had no authority to do that. It was only the master that could say that. He couldn't say it. He was his steward. He was his representative. But the guy who got let off 50%, he thought he was great. Oh, this is my man. You know, I thought I was going to have to pay the old bill and you let me off. And that's how it is in the day of religion. You know, who's popular? The one that lets them off. You know, you don't have to get baptized. Oh, I like that church. I don't have to do anything. Still smoke, drink, live with a girlfriend. They don't make any fuss about any of that. It's all great. It's all acceptable. We love that church. Lovely church. Trouble is you're not saved. And they don't realise that. How much owest thou in verse 7? A hundred measures of wheat. Same. He said, and take thy bill and write four score eighty. So he still let him off 20%. And so uh, the Lord commended him on his cleverness, not on being a crook. People misunderstood that. The Lord commended the unjust youth because he had done wisely or cleverly or cunningly. For the children of this world and their generation wiser or cleverer than the children of light. We just call a spade a spade. We just tell the truth as it is, and uh, but these people are a lot more cunning than us. 
I say unto you, make to yourselves, this is to these sort of people, not to us, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Do it the way, the crooked way you do it. Why? That when you fail, you're going to fail from my, my company, I'm sacking you. But he said, when you fail, they will might receive you into everlasting um, uh, habitation. So you'll be accepted in the world. The world will love you. You know, the world will love you for what you're doing. But he basically said, but I don't. And then he said, um, he, for, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in least is, un, is unjust also in much. So if somebody, and he's talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees, we're going to see in a minute, where they had mishandled the Old Testament. They changed the law. They had watered it down. It had, had no significant, brought in lots of rules and regulations of their own, the, the tradition, traditions of man. But they hadn't done what God wanted them to do. And he said, if you've been unfaithful in that, why would I give you the new kingdom? People would think, oh, go to the Pharisees. They're religious. They're lovely people. Surely they're the ones that have... He knew, no, they're a mob of crooks. They've already been crooked. I know what they really... I know exactly what they're like. And I'll go to the fishermen. I'll go to the tax collector like Matthew. You know, I'll go to the harlot like Mary Magdalene. I'll, I'll go to the people, the simple people. They'll accept. No, I ain't go to the religious leaders. Uh, and then he says in verse 12, And if they has been, uh, have not been faithful in that which is another man, another man's life, you might say, soul, who shall give you that which is your own? You'll lose your own salvation. You don't deserve to be saved, is what he's saying there. Then he makes it very clear. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or is who will hold to the one, and despise the other. So putting it in, in what actually people do do, he will hate the world and love the Lord, or as he will hang on to the world, and by doing that he will despise the Lord, is the way he's what he's saying here. And then he said, you can't do both. You can't be part of this world and part of my kingdom. And then it really comes out who he's talking about. And the Pharisees also who were covetous, the very people he's talking about. And I dare say the unstute, unjust steward, when you think about it, he was a covetous person, the, the, the parable. Heard all these things and they derided him. Why did they deride him? Because they knew that he was talking about them. And they made tried to make him look a fool. But he said, you are they which justice by yourselves before me. Or he could have said, you are the unjust stewards I'm talking about. It's another way of saying the same thing. But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. And uh, if you play to the crowd, you play to be approved of this world, you're not the servant of the Lord. So going back to my talk, which I've digressed a fair bit from, there was a question put. What have you been doing? You are supposed to be my steward and you haven't been worthy of me. And I dare say we don't ever want, well, if they have that question put to us, we want to be able to say, look, we have been faithful. We've preached your word. We want people to be saved the Bible way. Now, I've run a little bit out of time like I always do. Let's have a look at a couple of, just a couple more thoughts. Um, John 14. John 14. A couple of questions here that... Um, well, a good thing with the questions is that they get answers. 
I'll quote one I think we all know, and I don't need to turn to it, is when the Lord went to his disciples and he, he asked them a question. Who do you think, who, who do people say that I am? Or well, some say you're the prophet. Some say you're the resurrection of John the Baptist or, or this or that, you know, or you're Jeremiah. But then he came back and he asked them another question. He said, but who do you say that I am? And that's the one he really wanted. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter gave this brilliant answer, which was a perfect answer, actually. And um, he even went on later on to say, look, you've had that revelation, but don't tell anybody else yet. They're not ready for it yet, but they often didn't listen to that. But it was um, a brilliant answer. And he went on to say to, to Peter, your dad didn't teach you that. My, my dad did. You got that from my heavenly father. So, um, but just John in John 14, which is, by the way, at the at the Last Supper, a lot of time we don't realise that. This is at the Last Supper. They're still sitting around the table. Somebody's not there, though, and his name's Judas Iscariot. He's already gone off to get his 30 pieces of silver. But they're still sitting around the table. When you read the end of... Um, end of uh, chapter 13 or the last few verses about Judas going off and so on. So they're sitting at the table and they start to ask him a few questions. By the way, he's only within hours of dying at this point. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, but not so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself which is what we're waiting for, that where I am, there you may also be also. And then he made a statement, with you I go, you know, and the way, you know. And then Thomas said, asked the question, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And I'm really glad he asked that question. <laughs> this brilliant answer, which we love, and we quote many and have choruses and hymns full of this wonderful answer, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And if you had known me, you have known my Father also. From hence ye know him and have seen him. So, as I said, he asked the question, how is this? Got this incredible answer. Well, Philip wasn't still quite happy with that. He was sort of had, he felt that there should be more to it. And Philip said unto him, and asked the question all, also, Lord, how, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, and we'll be happy. Show us God. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? Believe thou not that I am in the Father? Again a question. And the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Very, very I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And what you shall ever, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And there's a lot more in this chapter, but I'm very happy for the question, maybe dumb as it might seem, that Thomas asked, because I've got a brilliant answer. I'm very happy with the question that Philip asked, and I'm very got that fantastic answer, and we've got it all written down there. Um, okay, I don't want to go too late and kill it all. Um, 
Last question. We'll just jump to Matthew 24. What is the number one question that we are forever answering, asking? And we'll go on asking, go on asking. When is the Lord coming back? Where well, that's the question. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. They weren't thinking about anything than having a look at that lovely building down there. And Jesus said unto them, See you, see you not all these things? There's a question. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him with three questions, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What, In other words, the destruction of the temple. And that was AD 70. What shall be the sign of thy coming? So what sort of indicators will there be when you're coming again? And thirdly, what about the end? When, 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 will, when will that happen, the end of the world? And then we've got this great chapter full of all the answers. That's what Matthew 24 is. Answers to those three questions. He went at one point to say that if he didn't come back and stop the destruction of this earth, there would be nothing left. The man would eventually destroy himself. But he just said there will be a great time of tribulation, but then immediately after the tribulation, we'll just finish with that, which is verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from... None of this has happened yet. And the powers we know means of the universe shall be shaken or unloosed. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. That hasn't happened yet. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So as we know, there is an answer to when the Lord's coming back in a time when you don't expect it, he's coming. And all the people said... Amen.